As we open God's Word again this morning, let's just come and ask for His input. Because otherwise these are just the words of a man. If God doesn't speak, we are wasting our time. So let's come before Him and ask Him to energize these words. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we once again open Your Word this morning. And we don't want to take it for granted, Lord. It is Your breathed out, Your inspired Word to us. Lord, help us to bow our knees before it and to accept the truth from it and allow Your Holy Spirit to bring about that change which You want from us. But Lord, thank You that we know that You give us the ability to do so as well because of Your great grace to us. So make our hearts before You soft now, Lord. And plant your words deep within, we pray. Amen. I want you to turn with me as we carry on our studies in the book of Luke. And uh, we're going to be reading from chapter 9, verses 37 to 45. Luke chapter 9, verse 37 to 45. And then we're going to read from the other narrative camera as well, as I've spoken of before, in Mark chapter 9 because it gives us a bit more detail on the scene that's going to be described to us. So get your finger in Luke chapter 9 and Mark chapter 9, and then we're set. Luke chapter 9, verse 37 to 45. On the next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. And a man from the crowd shouted, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only boy. And the spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth. And only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could could not. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. And while the man was still approaching, the demon slammed the boy to the ground and threw him into a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. But while everyone was marveling at all that he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand the statement. And it was concealed for them, from them so that they could not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this statement. Now let's turn to the other narrative camera on this passage. Mark chapter 9, verses 17. Oh, sorry, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. And we're just going to get a few more details about this event that we've just read about. Mark chapter 9, verse 14.
when they, that is Jesus and the three disciples, when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw Jesus, they were amazed and began running up to him and greeting him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. And Jesus answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to Jesus. When, Jesus, when he saw Jesus, that is the demon, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has, he, has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do something, if you can do anything, Take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him, and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out. And the boy became, became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and he got up. When Jesus came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. When you look at uh, Raphael's painting, and I'm no artist or I have no claim to be either, if you see my stick figures, Raphael's painting very clearly depicts two things there. The transfiguration that we looked at last week when Jesus was seen on that mountaintop in his glorified body with Moses and with Elijah. And Raphael dramatizes and contrasts what their transfiguration was like with what was happening the next morning. So he condenses the picture. He, he shows what was happening the next morning in the, that, at the bottom of that mountain where this crowd was gathered there in shame and confusion with his disciples gathered round. And he kind of condenses it into one picture. And that's very much what Luke does. And the only reason I'm saying that here is because these passages are some of those that critics of the Bible would point at and say, well, you see, the Bible is different here. And so it can't be true. And so I want to dispel that and say, Luke has got a specific story to tell. He's got a specific purpose he wants to point to. And that is what the Son of Man is about to do. And he continuously comes back to that theme. And so he, 
he also condenses his version of what happened there that day, that morning. And Mark gives us other details. And if you go and look at the passage in Matthew chapter 17, very much like the one in Luke. But what it depicts to us here is, and I've titled it firstly, Unhearing Ears. Unhearing Ears. Verses 37 to 41. You see, Jesus comes down from that mount. And what's Jesus been experiencing? He's, being, he's experienced His glorified body once again. And this momentous occasion where Elijah and... Um, where he's together there with Elijah and Moses on the mountain. And again, the disciples are sleeping. We'll get to them again. And Jesus has come down from this mountaintop. And as he comes down into the valley, he sees this large crowd. And this crowd is even happy to see him. They come running towards him. But Jesus knows that this isn't going to endure for very long. This very same crowd that is now happy and glad to see him is going to be the crowd that wants to crucify him. And he sees this crowd, he sees their need, he sees the confusion, he sees the frustration of not just the people because the disciples can't do what they said they could do, but I think he also sees the frustration in the disciples. Why can't we do these things? And he sees those scribes stirring up Asking questions. And maybe this crowd has now been caused to doubt the claims that Jesus and his disciples have made because they can't do what they said they could. He sees the continued spiritual and physical needs of all these people gathered there and the effects of sin on a broken world. Jesus sees these things. And as Jesus is coming down this mountain... This father runs up to him, verse 39, and he's got in his arms, or holding this boy, his only son. A son who's demon-possessed. And what has the demon been doing? He's been using what we can say today would probably be epilepsy, because if you look at the um, symptoms mentioned there, it looks like epilepsy. But it's not just epilepsy. And some have tried to say, well, it was just epilepsy. No, it wasn't. The demon was using this at the time when the demon chooses to make this boy fall down, foam at the mouth, gnash his teeth, stiffen out. And this father, who has seen this happening since the boy was small, runs up to Jesus and he says, help me, help me. And Jesus sees the cry of the father. He sees the frustration in the people. He sees the confusion And he himself, in holy frustration and in holy indignance even, says to them and to the crowd as a whole, you unbelieving and you perverted generation. He sees the effects of sin. How long shall I be with you? It's not going to be very long anymore. And how long must I put up with you? Can you see that in him? The effects of sin. And Jesus sees his father and he sees this father as not having sufficient faith and be careful when we speak about this. He wasn't saying you don't have enough faith and that's why your son didn't believe. If you look at Mark chapter 9 verse 22 
And the words Jesus says there, uh, the word the man says to Jesus, he says to Jesus, if you can heal, if you can do something, then please do something. And so, yes, this man had not enough faith in the Lord, but it wasn't his lack of faith that didn't heal. It was him not looking to Jesus Christ and seeing who Jesus was as the powerful, sovereign God and not recognizing him to be the Messiah. He looked at the scribes and instead of these religious leaders showing pity on this boy, they're probably there gloating over the, the, the disciples' inability and impotence to do what they are doing. And they're probably arguing with these disciples in their state of confusion. He looks at the crowd in general and he sees the crowd far more concerned about seeing miracles happen in front of them than the real needs of people. And then he looks at his disciples. His disciples. The slumbering three and the bumbling nine, as someone has put it. I like that. And he, he sees them after three years of ministry training. And they still have a lack of faith. They still can't pray as they should. They still have a lack of understanding. They still don't have the humility they should before God. They still have a lack of tolerance for people. And we see that in the passage we'll be looking at when we next get together around this passage. And Jesus now brings these out in the open and he mentions them publicly. You see, the exercise of these gifts that the, that the um, disciples should have had is not just automatic. They require discipline, spiritual discipline. And these, these disciples were definitely lacking in spiritual discipline. In the time of need, when they should have been praying, they were sleeping. And we'll see in the next passage, the arguments break out about who's the greatest. You see the lack of spiritual discipline here. But you know, Jesus also sees the coming crisis. And he wants to highlight it to them. And he knows that this coming crisis will instill in these disciples in a very short space of time those spiritual disciplines they need to become the leaders of the church which will be established. Jesus can see these things. He can see that they are not yet prepared for the task. That they don't yet understand what is going to happen to him. And so he spells it out to them once again. And so here is all this need in front of Jesus. And he doesn't close his eyes to it. He doesn't close his ears to the cries of help. No, these are divine ears that open up to the cries of human beings. That open up to the cries of you and me as we come to him as well here in 2013. And so let's look what Jesus does. You see, mercy always triumphs in the case of Jesus Christ. Mercy always triumphs. Jesus is not overcome by the needs of the people, by the greatness of the task before him. No, he doesn't reject the prayer of this agonizing father who comes to him. He doesn't ignore the plight of this afflicted son. He doesn't write off his slow learning disciples. He doesn't close his ears to you and I either. And so we can take courage from the way he reacts here. He says to the man, bring your son to me. And as this, this man obeys, the demon recognizes Jesus. And we've seen that before. They recognize him as who? The son of the Lord of hosts. 
of God Almighty. The, rec- the demon recognizes Jesus, even though the crowds don't. And he again tries in a last attempt to throw this boy to the ground with convulsions. Now, in that dramatic moment, let's just stop and we're going into brackets, alright? We've done that plenty of times before. And that's what Mark does in his account, the other camera on the scene. Mark records this little conversation that happens between Jesus and this father. Mark chapter 9 verse 24. This man has come to Jesus and Jesus, Jesus says to him in the end, if you can believe all things are possible, if you can believe, Jesus says to him, all things are possible to him who believes. I'll repeat that again. He says to the man, if you can believe in what? That I can do this, then all things are possible to him who believes. Now that passage has been misapplied so many times. And they will point at people's faith and say, if you had more faith, you would be healed. And then people aren't healed and they walk away there and they are broken down spiritually. And you might have been through an experience like that. But is that what Jesus is saying? No. He's saying, if you can believe that I am Jesus Christ, that I can heal, then I will heal. It's not about your faith. It's about what I can do. And so this father recognizes that and he says to him, and I love these words because my life hangs around these words too. He says, Lord, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. I'm just a weak human being, Lord. I do believe, but help me to turn that into reality in my life. Help me in my unbelief. Do you ever cry that out to the Lord? You know, you've been praying for how many years? And still, those prayers haven't been answered. You've been fighting with a specific issue in your life for how many years? And still you find yourself giving in. This is your prayer this morning. Lord, I believe in you. I don't doubt that. But help me in my unbelief. You do a great work in me, Lord. And what does Jesus do? He immediately, and now we're out of brackets, Jesus immediately answers that man's prayer and he rebukes or commands and he commands with authority and he says to that demon, come out of that boy and don't go back into him again. And this is Jesus, the son of the Lord of hosts speaking. And what happens? The demon leaves. He doesn't put up an argument. He knows who Jesus is. He leaves. And he will never go back to that boy because that is part of God's command to him. And now, see, I see this phrase, and don't gloss over it. Jesus comes and gives him back to his father. That's a tender moment in all this confusion of the crowd around. Jesus takes this boy who's been convulsed and who's now lying on the ground, and the, some of the crowd thought he was dead, and Jesus picks him up. Can you see the Lord? The one who just cried out about this perverse generation. He picks up this boy tenderly, and he takes him back and gives him to his father. There is the Lord Jesus Christ I serve too. He's the merciful one. He's the tender God. He's the one with amazing power, but yet tender love towards me and you. Where did we see that previously in this book as we've been studying it? Well, remember the paralytic? Remember the paralytic? 
chapter 5, verse 17, the Lord heals him and he forgives him. Do you see the two? He heals, he forgives. The centurion's servant, he cures the servant in chapter 7 and then he commends the centurion. Do you see the heart of our Lord? The demoniac who came running to him from those caves in chapter 8, he restores him to his right mind and then he sends him out as a missionary to proclaim this gospel message that this is the Messiah. Remember the woman who touched his cloak? The one with bleeding Jesus not only heals her, but he comforts her. You see, those two always go together. Jairus' daughter, he raises her from the dead, and then he gets her something to eat. I love that. Our practical, merciful Lord. The widow of Nain's son, the one who had died, who had stopped breathing, who was dead, he raises him from the dead, and then he tenderly gives him back to his mother in chapter 7. And now the very same thing this deaf-mute demoniac, Jesus heals him and then restores him with compassion and concern back to his Father. And then we come to you and I today and we say, well, it's all changed. Because we come to God and why doesn't he hear me? And we get all rebellious. Well, you see, the same merciful Lord does answer our prayers. He does restore you and I. He does heal When he wants to heal. And he does that because of his tender mercy and his love towards you and I. Never forget God's love. Yes, even in the face of God's judgment. Never forget he is the God who loves you and I. This is the Jesus we serve. And then that passage just closes there with the people. They see this demoniac restored. And they are amazed at the greatness of God. But it is short-lived. Because a few chapters on, just a few short hours and days on, this very same crowd was baying for Jesus' death. They wanted to have Him crucified. People are very fickle. And now let's go to verses 43 and 45. And we're still to do with ears. And this time it's blocked ears. Blocked ears. You see, Jesus turns his attention to his good old disciples. And I'm not hammering the disciples. They're bringing it on themselves, right? Jesus teaches his disciples right here in the middle of all these happenings. He is still the one who is teaching and discipling. And he says to his disciples, and I love these words. He says, listen, let these words sink into your ears. I love that. Those words are really well chosen. It's like he's going slowly, saying, listen, watch my lips. Let these words sink into your ears. Are you listening now? Turn up your hearing aids and hear what I'm saying to you. And then he tells them what he wants them to hear. He says this, and this would have thrown them back again, because they'd kind of heard this before, but never taken it in. He says to them, the Son of Man is going to die by being betrayed into the hands of men. Now that was what, have got, what would have got them. You see, it says they didn't understand, verse 1. How could Jesus, with his glorious power, and we've just seen it at work, how could he experience a humiliating death? How? 
It's not possible. And these crowds, he says he's going to be betrayed into the hands of men. These people love him. Look at them. They were coming, running up to Jesus, welcoming him back. How can a whole nation turn against him and kill him? No way. You see, the Bible says here, the truth was concealed from them. Did you see that? It's interesting. It was concealed from them. By who? And immediately someone will say, by the devil. No. No, it's not always the devil. You can't blame everything on the devil. You see, what God was doing here is God was concealing it from them for the time being because he wanted to show them the full impact of what Jesus was going to do. And he would reveal the truth to them at the appointed time. When Christ was risen from the dead, that was when the full impact would really hit on his disciples. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, that was when the full impact of what Jesus had really meant when he said, I will leave you but send another, that's when they would have started understanding what Jesus meant here. But for now, they couldn't understand it. Jesus was going to die and he was going to be betrayed by men. And after he had publicly brought up their faults into public eye, it says, as part of that same verse, they were afraid to ask him. They were afraid to ask him why they couldn't heal. But they seem to gather their courage a little later in Mark chapter 9 when they go into the house and they say to him, Jesus, why couldn't we heal? It's bugging us. You've said we can do all things if we have the faith that you can do it through us. Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says to them in Mark chapter 9 verse 28, this kind, that is this kind of demon, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, was prayer one of their strong points? Was it one of the strongest tools in their tool chest? No. Generally when they were supposed to pray, they were sleeping. And so what is Jesus doing? He's, he's very mercifully and kindly showing them you guys have still got a way to go, but I'll be there and I will teach you while I'm with you. They've still got a lot to learn. Their time's running out. How do we know they've still got a long way to go? Well, if you look, glance ahead a little bit to verses 46 to 48, they break out in this argument of greatness. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? And then a bit further on, and we'll get to this, verse 49 to 50, they show a real intolerance to people. And if you go a little further, 54 to 56, they have a misplaced zeal. But Jesus patiently continues to shape them and to prepare them for their mission, which is about to start. And he does the same to you and I. Because if you think of your life, I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. And Jesus has a long way to go with me too. But I do know this, I have a mission that he wants me to do. And Jesus will continue to shape me and change me so that I can fulfill that mission if I hold on to him. The same for you. The same for you. And so I want to ask you this morning as we think about ears, have you got hearing ears? Have you got hearing ears this morning? We've been sitting a whole year, because we're in December, we've been sitting a whole year under God's Word. Every Sunday, opening His Word, and principles are coming from God's Word. 
I want to ask you, my friend, this morning, have you got open ears? How do you know? If you look back on your life for this past year, it's not too long to remember, even for those of us with short memories. If you think back on this past year, have you seen any change in your spiritual life? In your walk with the Lord? Have you seen any change? One change? You see, it comes back to this question, and we give the disciples a hard time, but you and I, we've got three fingers pointing back, don't we? Because sometimes our ears are blocked too. And so I want to ask you a few questions this morning as we apply this to us and give God glory as we do that. The first question is this. In your daily life, are you trusting God? Do you really trust God? Or do you just understand about trusting God? When you see evil around you, and evil might be very prevalent in what, what's going through your life now. Do you think that it's overcoming? When you see the world and all the changes around us, do you think, how can Christianity stand under all this? You see, many times, when we trust the Lord Jesus, many times, as we travel these difficult roads, it doesn't make sense to us. Rather, it frightens us. We can't see why God does things the way He does things. But here's the truth, and J.C. Ryle said it like this so beautifully. Sometimes the path of trust turns the corner in a surprising way. And in the same way as the cross turned into resurrection. I love that. You see, if we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, it may look all dark to us, but when we trust the Lord, there will come that corner. And then we'll be surprised how God comes through. Trust God in reality. He is the all-powerful one. He is the sovereign one. He knows the end from the beginning. Trust Him. Even when you can't see the way. Second question I want to ask you is this one. And I've already alluded to it. Are you progressing along the internship of being a disciple of Jesus? Are you making progress in your spiritual life? Is that daily discipline that should be there when you follow Jesus Christ, is it in your life? Should you be further down the road, the spiritual growth track of where you actually are now? And you've been a Christian for how many years? And I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anyone. I'm asking a real question. Are you making progress in your spiritual life? Because God has promised that you will make progress. So if you aren't, there's a reason for it. Maybe you're suffering from the Peter Pan syndrome, you know, the little man who never grew up. Are you growing up in your Christian life? Thirdly, are you coming to Jesus Christ in humility like this father, and crying, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. If you want to progress in your Christian life, here's where you can start. Come to the Lord and say, Lord, I believe in you. I've believed in you for 37 years, but I'm not making progress. Help me in my unbelief. And God will answer your prayer. You will see your spiritual life rejuvenated 
when you come to Him with that prayer, you will see your prayer life with a new vibrancy. You will find yourself winning spiritual battles you've been fighting for, with all these years and capitulating to. And you will find those habits, those yearnings that you have in your life, those slip-ups, lessen. They will. God has promised He is all-powerful. He will help. But we don't come to Him. We don't come. Does that mean when you pray that prayer that you'll have no more slip-ups? I wish. No, definitely not. You see, as with these disciples, who still had to fail and learn so many times, you and I still need to fail and learn so many times. But there will be a positive trend in our spiritual growth. You will become more like Christ and less like your old nature. God has promised it. And so take courage by coming to Jesus Christ daily and saying, Lord, help me in my unbelief. And the last question I want to put to you this morning is this one. Sorry, the second last question, I'm a liar. What is Jesus saying of you in your life as you sit here this morning? Is he maybe saying of you too, how long shall I put up with you and your disobedience? How long shall I put up with you? I died for you. Or rather, should he be saying in your life, my words are sinking into your ears. I can see it by your attempted obedience, my child. But, and listen to this, it's not about you. It's about my grace at work in you. It's not about your attempted obedience. It's about my grace working in your life every day. And I look forward, my child, to putting up with you for all eternity. Jesus won't give up on you. He'll put up with you for all eternity. Why can he do that? Because he will make you perfect. And he can put up with perfection in eternity. You looking forward to that day? And so those habits you struggle with every day, you will get over them because Jesus, by his grace, will do it. And those times you fall down so often, you will not fail in the end because Jesus Christ, by His grace, will help you to stop failing and falling. And so He will do it and He will put up with you through all eternity. His grace will ensure that you are made perfect in obedience. Second Corinthians 12 verse 9 says this, and listen to this, hang on to this, my grace, not your obedience, my grace is sufficient for you. And he doesn't stop there. For my power is made perfect in weakness. I love the New Living Translation way they say this. My grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. My power works best in your weakness. So are you feeling weak this morning? Then take courage. He is strong. It's not about your weakness. It's about His strength. Take courage. Take strength from that. And then, as I promised, last question. Does that mean I can just carry on as I am then? If, if it's all about His grace and He's going to do it in the end, does that mean I can carry on as I am? Does that mean I can come to the end of a year and no changes happen in me, but no worries, He will do it in the end? Does it mean that? No. I'm afraid there's more scripture. And this is what it says, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. 
What then shall I say, says the Apostle Paul, are we to continue in sin that his grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so, yes, you can live in resurrected power as Jesus does His work in you. But how much do you love Him? Do you want to obey Him because you love Him, not because rules say so? Do you love Jesus Christ? And therefore, would you willfully sin against the one you love? I love you, Lord, but I will carry on sinning. No. You were raised with Christ for a new walk. He's already done it. He's made it possible for you and I. And now we are to walk. And so, let these words sink in this morning. Let them sink into your ear. Romans 15 verse 4 says this, For whatever was written in former days was written why? For our instruction. And so here's the book of Luke, written in former days, and it's written for our instruction. So let our ears be open to it. That through endurance, and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Alright, so how do we take hope from that? Are you encouraged this morning? Are you filled with hope? I hope so. Then, says Scriptures, fix your eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of your faith. He will make you perfect, but fix your eyes on Him daily. And let these words sink in too. Philippians 1 verse 6, He who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until when? The day of Christ Jesus. Has that day arrived yet? No, but it will. And when that day comes, you will be made perfect. So take courage this morning. Yes, you've still got lots of wobbles in your life, but Jesus can turn them into a straight line through His grace at work in you. You can't do it on your own. Let Jesus do it through and in you. And then the world will see that there is a Savior because He will shine through your weakness. Let's give Him glory. Let's give Him praise. He is the author, the one who started it, and the perfecter of our faith. Amen. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you that we have these words in Scripture. Thank you that we have the examples of those fallible, those fallible disciples who are just like us, Lord. And Lord, help us not to point the finger at them, but rather to have your Spirit point His finger into our lives and do His work of healing surgery in us so that we too can be perfect in You one day. And Lord, in the meantime, help us to come to You daily and to cry before You, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief because I'm a weak human being. Lord, help us, we pray, so that the world will see that you are God indeed, as your work shines through our lives. We ask this in your precious and your holy name. Amen.